evaluate that gift really determines is determined by how you see your sin. Okay, if you understand the magnitude of your sin and the greatness of its separation as it, as it, that it caused between you and God, the fact that your sin separated you from God, and actually you deserve death, hell, and the grave, and to be eternally separated from Him forever, and there's nothing that you can do about it, no, no amount of strength or ability within yourself that you have to redeem yourself, period. If you have an understanding that your sin is so great, and it separates you from God, and the only thing that can redeem you from that is the gift of salvation. So you have the greatest gift that is that is the solution to the greatest need that you ever that you've ever had. And once you have a proper perspective on the greatness of your sin, you'll understand the magnitude of the gift, which will ultimately affect how much joy is expressed because of that gift. You have to see the um, you have to see your gift of salvation for what it truly is, and you would. And that gives us an unending source of happiness and joy when we focus on the gift that we have truly received. Then the following week, what we we followed up, as it was uh, alluded to in um, in the opening comments from uh, from Mace this morning, is that the the difference that is there because of this um, gift of salvation. We discussed the difference that there was, um, especially concerning those who have fallen asleep in Jesus Christ, the ones who have died and gone on. And, and, and uh, to be with Jesus. So that what, what Paul was um, expressing there is like, I don't want you to be ignorant concerning those who have fallen asleep. I don't want you to be ignorant concerning that because if Jesus Christ died and rose again, then he is going to bring them back with you and he will resurrect you and you will meet them in the air and you will be with them forever. That is the hope of every believer in Jesus Christ. Is those who have gone on before and who died in Christ, they are with Jesus now, and Jesus will bring them back with him when he returns, and we who are alive and remain will be called up to meet them in the air, and we will be with them for eternity. So that, that, is, a, that is a hope that we have in Jesus Christ. And we're going to kind of continue that theme starting in chapter 14 in the book of John. We're going to continue that theme of the hope that we have and and what we have, that, that the source of happiness, the source of, of, of real, true joy that we have as believers in Jesus Christ. Now, if we just start reading here in chapter 14, you don't get the entire context. But we're going to start, and then we'll back up, and then we'll come, we'll come at it with a running start. But in John chapter 14, we have a text here that brings us, that, that can meet us in a time of trouble, times of tough times in our lives. This is one of the most familiar set of verses that, that you'll find in the New Testament. Often you do hear these read at um, times of death and, and funerals, and it's very appropriate to do so. But its message will reach every troubled heart as we live our lives following Christ here in this world. In verse 1 it says, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And where I go, you know, and the way, you know. And Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going, and how can we know the way? And Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. Now, in the context of this verse, he says, let not your heart be troubled. But we need to go back and exactly see what, what Jesus is illustrating before he says, let not your heart be troubled. There's a reason why he is saying this. 
You know, within, within chapter 13, what we see here is that the disciples and Jesus, they are, with, they are together in the upper room. They have come to Jerusalem. Uh, they've come to Jerusalem for the Passover. They have enjoyed a pleasant meal and sweet fellowship with one another. This is where Jesus washes the feet of the disciples. So they've had some intimate time together, and they have come together during this time. And now Jesus is going to reveal to them some tough times that are going to come ahead. And one of those things is, as we see in chapter 13, verses 21 through 30, is that Jesus reveals to them that one of you is going to betray me. One of you is going to do it. And this is, a, this is the first sign that, that he's telling them, look, you're going to have some trouble times ahead. One of you is going to betray me. And they start asking, well, who is it? Who is this? And then Jesus reveals to, him, to them um, who it will be. We find that that is Judas. So he's being going to be betrayed, and this ultimate betrayal leads to what is going to be very difficult times for them in the very near future. But he also goes on to say in, in verses 33, he says, Little children, I shall not, because I shall be with you a little while longer. You will seek me, and as I said to the Jews, where I am going, you cannot come. So now I say to you a new commandment, love one another. By this they will know that you are my disciples. And then Peter jumps in. He says, hold on a second. Where are you going? He's like, where are you going? I want to go with you. In verse 37, Peter said, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for your sake. But Jesus has just revealed to them, I'm going to be betrayed. And where I am going, you cannot follow me now. I'm going somewhere and you're not going to come. I'm going to be leaving. And then Peter jumps in. I want to follow you now. Why can't I do that? I will lay down my life. Then Jesus kind of looks at Peter. He says, will you lay down your life for my sake? He says, before the sun rises, before the cock crows, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. So Jesus didn't reveal in detail what's going to happen, but he's telling him something is going to happen drastically that's going to cause Peter to be weak enough to say, or afraid enough to, to deny Jesus and deny, deny even knowing him three times before sunrise. So he is warning them that there are some troubled times ahead. Maybe they don't understand how, how quickly it's going to happen or unfold, but Jesus has just given them news that he will be betrayed, that he is leaving, and they cannot follow him where he's going, but they can follow afterward. And Peter says, I would like to follow you now. I'll give you my, I will lay down my life for you. Peter, you will deny me three times before they did. But, let not your hearts be troubled. So this is, there's a reason for why Jesus is saying, let not your heart be troubled. Now this is a text that calls us, it calls us to peace in times of trouble. There's no question that now, we, we've read the end of the book. We, we know the end of the story. We understand, we understand what happens to Jesus. They, they come and they arrest him. They take him and he's crucified. And in fact, Peter does deny even knowing him as, as, um, as though he was being accused as one of his followers. Even went as far as to, to, um, uh, to cursing and, and saying, I do not know that man. Never even seen him before. But this text calls us to peace in times of trouble. He says, let not your heart be troubled. Notice Jesus said, look, all these problems are going to go away. Jesus did not say that. But he says, let not your heart be troubled. There's troubled times coming ahead, but don't be troubled because of the troubled times. This is going to happen. This is going to come to fruition. But however, let not your heart be troubled. 
Now, we are going to face tough times in this world. There's no question about it. In John chapter 16 and verse 33, it lets us know that in this world, we will have tribulations. Many of you have experienced tribulations and, and trying times and troubled times. We will all go through them. You know, most people go through things that they did not think that they would. Many of you have been hit and, and been hit and blindsided by something that you never thought would actually come to pass, but it is at your front door and you don't know what to do about it. You don't think you can get through it, and in the midst of it, you don't think you can get through it. But through the testimony of many, many of you have been there before, you've gone through what you didn't think you could get through, just to turn back and say, I don't know how that happened. I don't know how I got through that without Jesus Christ. But you can look back and see the terrible times that you've come through, though you may be facing a very, very troubled time, but even in all of this, Jesus is telling his disciples, let not your heart be troubled. And I believe that we as believers of Jesus Christ and followers of Jesus, that we too can let not our hearts be troubled, even in times of troubling circumstances. And what are those reasons? Well, we'll find out that over the last several weeks that the answer really just tends to be the same. It just falls in that hope that we do have as believers. But even though we may go through these difficult times, let not your hearts be troubled. We can truly have peace in perilous times. And that's what Jesus is calling them to. Secondly, what we see here is that Jesus is calling us to, a, to trust him in these times of trouble. We have a text that calls us to trust him. Now he says, let not your heart be troubled. Then what's the very next phrase? You believe in God. You believe in God. Now believe is the life-changing word. To believe means to exercise faith. Faith is exercising what you believe to know to be true? Do you believe that God exists as he is revealed in Scripture? Let not your heart be troubled. Do you believe in God? Now, if you believe in the God of Scripture, the God of the Bible, then we have a great God and creator. And if he created everything that is around us, including you, ultimately that means that he is in control. He does what he wants. He can handle anything that comes about he can deal with anything, and ultimately, if he's the creator of all things, he already knows what you're going through. He knew what was going to happen even in uh, eternity past. God is our creator. He is our sustainer. He is our redeemer. Do you, he says, you believe in God. Do you believe that he exists? Do you believe he is your creator? And do you believe that he is ultimately in control of everything? But he also goes as far... Even stacks on top, if you believe in God, believe also in me. Not in the sense that there are two different people. Jesus is not only God in the New Testament, but he's also the golden God of the Old Testament. He is the eternal God. He is the eternal creator. If you believe in God, believe also in me. He is God in the flesh. And what does it mean to believe in Jesus Christ? As you believe in God, believe also in me. Jesus is the one who came to live the life that we could not live. He came to die the death that we could not that we could not die on our own. But he came to pay the price that we could not pay. But Jesus Christ, he came to save sinners. He's saying, believe in me also. You believe in God, believe also in me. Believe that Jesus Christ has come, he has died for our sins. Believe that he has risen again. Now I want you to understand, it's more than just a belief in the historical fact about Jesus Christ. 
We must understand the facts about who he was and, and what he did, but we also must come to a point where we will trust in the work that he did. We must move from a point of believing in or believing that to believing in Jesus Christ. If you believe in God, believe also in me. Let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. And in trusting in Jesus Christ, what we are ultimately doing, we are resting our future in the very hands of our Savior. We are resting our future in what He and in, in who He is and what He has done on the cross. We are resting in Him and our future. So do you trust God enough with your salvation, but do you trust God enough with the life and the circumstances that are that are around you? You can trust Him with your salvation, your eternal security, but are we willing to really trust God in our perilous times and the troubled times that we face? Now what now how how can that be expressed? Well ultimately Whenever, regardless of whether we have, we are in the midst of troubled times or, or things are going well for us, that will be made manifest in whether or not you are living according to what the Word of God says. A lot of times, whenever we are faced with these perilous times, as we kind of talked about it with Jehoshaphat, I mean, in a time of crisis, too often do people abandon the Word of God, abandon their relationship with Christ, whenever they go through troubled times. They're seeking the world for help. And they'll abandon what they know to be true, in order to solve the problem in a worldly way or the way they feel better about it, or the way they think it would give them a better result. But the question is, is God's word sufficient? Are you willing to trust God enough? He's saying, believe, believe in God, believe also in me, but are you willing to trust God's word in and out of the troubled times? Are you willing to stand firm in what the word of God tells us and teaches us and be obedient to his word regardless of the circumstances in which we stand? He says, you believe in God, believe also in me. I want you to understand and, be, and be, be clear about this. God's word is completely and totally sufficient for our lives and what we do, even in the bad times. Can you trust him enough to, to stay obedient to what his word says, regardless of what the world, of what the world is going to be throwing at you and saying and what you need to do? Never abandon God's word. You believe in God, believe also in in me. And that will be manifested whether you do or not, depending on whether or not you follow the word of God. But you believe in God, you believe also in me. And through Jesus Christ, we have an eternal gift of forgiveness of sin and a home with him forever. So this is the gift that we talked about a few weeks ago. But that is the source of our joy that is an unending source of joy that we can have and experience. This is the hope that we have that makes a difference in how we deal with grieving concerning those who have passed away in Christ. It is all rested in Jesus Christ, his death, his burial, and resurrection. Now, he's, what he said here, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. Now, I want you to understand that the belief that I'm talking about here, this is not a blind faith belief. This is not believing without evidence. I'm saying believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, not only because of this revealed in Scripture, but Jesus Christ is a historically uh, is, a, is a historical person in the flesh who died on the cross, and three days later his grave was empty. And the fact that his grave was empty means that he is who he said he was, he did what he said he was going to do, and he's going to do what he's promised. It's going to happen. He will come back. He will return. And that is the, that is the faith that we have. It is based in history. They, my faith is not, ground, not grounded in wishful thinking, but in the facts of the Word of God, historically as well as scientifically, God exists. 
he sent his son to die on the cross, his grave was empty. That is, that is the faith that we have. You believe in God? Believe also in me. So, he's, so during, these, during these times, and, and during the times that let not your heart be troubled, troubled times are coming, but don't be troubled by them. You believe in God? Believe also in me. God is ultimately in control. I am your Savior. I am your Redeemer. I am the God in the flesh. You believe in God? Believe also in me. And now, in all of this, he's not saying that all of your problems are going to go away. You know, I can't stand the prosperity gospel that is out there. If you have enough faith, all of your financial, your health problems, your marital problems, your, your family problems are all going to go away. Okay, that is a lie straight from the devil. That is, God has never promised that. He has never promised us that we would never come across troubled times, and he's not promising the disciples this either. But as a matter of fact, he's, he actually described that they were going to go through some difficult times. And as we, as we read on further... As the conversation continues, that he actually promises that they will have tribulations. But during those tribulations, what we do with them and how we react to them is what Jesus is concerned about. He really wants us to do to to um, to react in a in a positive way. And what he's what he goes on to say here is, he says, "Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God. Believe also in me." And now in verse 2, he actually shifts them to take a view of the future. We see a text that calls us to look beyond our life's difficulties. We need to look beyond those things, above and beyond. He says, in my Father's house are many mansions. Now they can't see that. They're just listening to what Jesus is saying here. He says, if it were not so, I would have told you. I go and prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. He shifts their attention to the future. The reason why he did he does that, because during the troubled times, that's what he wants them to be focusing on, is the future. His father's house, the one with many mansions, the one that he has gone to prepare. And in light of all of this, what this does for the Christian and the believer in Jesus is that it puts everything into perspective because all trouble that we face here is temporary. Everything that we face here is temporary. It's only going to get better for those who are believers in Jesus Christ. So no matter how we must suffer for the cause of Christ, it's temporary. No matter what kind of tribulations we may, we may go through and the persecution that we may face for standing up for Christ in this world, it's all temporary. And whenever we're here, and we may be getting persecuted, and we may be suffering because of the cause of Christ. We don't focus on the suffering, do we? No, we do what we do. What Jesus is saying, He's saying, "In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you." We focus on eternal things. We have eternal life. Our sins are forgiven. We have the hope of eternal life with Jesus, and that is the thing that we focus on while we go through this life. This is temporary. So going through this life with a proper perspective of eternal things, with the hope that we have in Christ Jesus, that one day He will return and we will be with Him forever, needs to be at the forefront of our minds, especially in times of trouble. It's all temporary. Trials are only for a season. As Mace brought out in some scripture as he opened uh, the the service this morning in First Peter chapter 1, starting in verse 3 through 6. If we read this, this is so rich in truth. 
This is something that, I mean, this is a, a passage I think that every one of us should memorize because it gives us and talks about that blessed hope that we have, that living hope that we have through the resurrection of Jesus. And if you want to turn with me there, in 1 Peter chapter 1, starting in verse 3, and we'll kind of walk through this. This, would, this will shift, shift your mind from thinking about the temporary things of this world to the eternal things that we have in Christ Jesus. In verse 3 it says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope. Now, understand, we talked about this a couple weeks ago, but this hope is not wishful thinking. Okay? We don't hope that Jesus Christ will come back. We don't hope that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. No, we have hope because Jesus Christ rose from the dead. That hope is an eternal promise that we have to be with him forever. It is what we have. It is a promise that we claim. That is what hope is. But according to his abundant mercy, has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. To an inheritance, so he has begotten us again, to an inheritance incorruptible, undefiled, and does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. So what do you have waiting for you that's reserved in heaven? An inheritance that is what? Incorruptible, undefiled, and will not fade away. You cannot corrupt it. It is pure and undefiled and does not fade away. That is why this is a continual source of joy for the believer. This will never diminish. This will never lose value. This will never go away. The batteries will not run out. This is a promise that we claim. This is the hope of all believers that one day we will uh, that we will stand and we will gain our inheritance that is incorruptible, undefiled, and will not fade away, and it is reserved for you in heaven. Your name is on it. You have this inheritance. It says it is reserved in heaven for you who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. And in verse 6 it says this, in this you greatly rejoice. In this you greatly rejoice. That should be enough to keep the believer joyful. That should be. Because regardless of how bad it gets, remember, this is temporary. Your inheritance is, is, is eternal. It is pure. It is undefiled. It is incorruptible. That is your inheritance. That comes from God himself and is reserved for you in heaven, ready to be revealed in the last day. It is coming. Therefore, rejoice greatly in this. Be greatly rejoice. But, but, in verse 6, in this you greatly rejoice, though now, for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials. You have been grieved by various trials. There is, there is, no, there is no promise or blanket of protection for the child of God to not face various trials in this world. It's going to happen. But how you deal with them and whatever you're focusing on during those times of trouble will determine whether or not or how you will get through them. If you focus on your problems and focus on the suffering, focus on the tribulations, you'll most likely be defeated. But if you joy 
if the source of your joy is you looking forward to the future, to that great inheritance that is incorruptible, undefiled, and will not fade away, you can always have joy. And you can get through this life. So that's why that's why Jesus is saying, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. For in my Father's house are many mansions, if it were not so, I would have told you. I go and prepare a place for you. This inheritance that we talked about, this is being prepared by Jesus Christ. Now, I don't know where exactly he is in the dimension. I'm not sure where he is. Time is evolving. But I do know, according to the Word of God, that he created the entire universe in six days. If the timeline is still the same, he's been waiting, he's been preparing that place for about 2,000 years. In his father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you, I go and prepare a place for you. This is a sweet promise in verse 3. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And where I go, you know, and the way, you know. And then Thomas goes off and says, well, I don't know where you're going, and how can I know the way? Well, Jesus told him in verse 6, indirectly, he says, I'm going to the Father. He says, I'm going to the Father. Because I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father but by me. But that's, that's where I'm going. And if you want to get to the Father, you come to me. Because I am the way. I am the truth. And I am the life. And no one comes to the Father except by me. The question here, or what we find out here, is that heaven is certainly a prepared place for a prepared people. And I believe that peace of God's people will have a proper perspective and the right focus as we are here. If we're focusing on Jesus Christ and His return and the eternal home that we will have, the troubled times that we go through, yes, they'll be troubling, maybe cause trouble for us here on this earth. However, I believe that we can go through those with a proper perspective and let our hearts not be troubled. Heaven is a prepared place for prepared people. The question is, is are you prepared? Have you truly surrendered your life to Christ? Have you truly repented of your sins and put your faith and trust in the work that Jesus Christ did on the cross of Calvary to save you from your sins? That is the question. Because if you have, glory be to God, because you have an eternal hope that Jesus Christ will come back one day and He will take you home with Him and you will be saved from the very wrath of God. But if not, things don't work out so well. For those, of, for those who have never trusted in Christ, the wrath of God abides on them even now. And God's patience is, is, is holding that wrath, but one day that wrath will go out. And when Jesus Christ comes back, He came the first time as a sacrificial Lamb of God to die for sinners. The next time He comes back, He'll be coming back as a conquering King and He will set the records straight. Sin will be judged. They will be judged in righteousness. Not one sin will go unpunished. Because God is perfect and righteous. The question is, is one is, have you had your sins forgiven? Your sins have been forgiven. And we escape the very wrath of God because the blood of Jesus Christ covers and cleanses us from all unrighteousness. And we are presented before the Father as though we have never sinned because of the work of Jesus Christ. 
Are you ready this morning? If you are, you have reason to rejoice. You have reason to take what Jesus Christ said, let not your heart be troubled, even in troublesome times, especially when we focus on the things that are to come, that hope that we have in Jesus Christ. Saved person this morning, child of God, members of First Baptist Church, let's not lose focus. We, we are responsible for many things. We have jobs, we have families. We have many responsibilities that we are called to take care of, and I believe that we honor God in doing those things. But above all else, we are here about God's business. And ultimately, that gets priority. Anything that rivals our calling to evangelize the world and to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ, that brings hope to all mankind, that is why we are here. That is what we are called to do. We must make that our focus. And no matter what that costs us, I know a lot of us refuse to do it because the cost is so great. Because it may, it may, it may, it may require us to, to step out of our comfort zone. It may require us to, to take on persecution. It may cause us to have to suffer. It may cost us something, a price that we're not willing to pay. But I want you to understand, if you will pay that price, Focus on eternity and pay that price, it will be worth every sacrifice you could possibly make. Because when you make a sacrifice here, for Christ's sake, you will be rewarded in heaven. If all of your works, all of our works, whether good or evil, they will pass through fire. The ones that are no good will burn out, and the ones that are left, that will be your treasure, that will be your reward. That will be what you get to cast down to the feet of Jesus Christ. And as our as um, as a brother Beto preached last week, we don't want to show up empty-handed. We don't. But as, as believers in Jesus Christ, we have to understand this is our priority. We if we are prepared for heaven. We need to focus on eternity and the hope that is offered, and we must take that to the to the world, regardless of the cost. Regardless of the suffering, regardless of the persecution, regardless of the troubled times, and I believe if we focus on Him, that we can faithfully walk, and our hearts will not be troubled, even in troubled times. Let's stand as we have a hymn of invitation this morning. Father, we thank You so much for the day. We thank You so much for Your Word again. God, as this text has called us to a time of peace, a time of commitment, a time of trusting You, Father, there's someone here who may be in the midst of trouble and they just don't even see their way out. Father, they may not see the outcome, Father, but we can be thankful that we can trust you, that you know the outcome, God. Father, I pray that someone here may be struggling with that, that they'll just continue to trust you. They'll make a commitment. But Father, above all else, if there's someone here who's never trusted you, the salvation, and put their faith